Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. So let me invite in, first of all, my co-host, my partner in power. She is a Tony Award winning nine Broadway show. She also is the director and a producer of The Red Pill. Let me welcome back to the show, Tanya Pinkins. Hi. Hey, Karen. Uh, coming back, they were never there. Remember, the Democrats used to be the Republicans. It was like reversed from the same people. Eddie Gladdy Jr. said black people got free because they fell out with each other, and they've been trying to make up ever since. So, Well, I, I'm just saying we got to do something different. And if they are these, uh, bi- these this binary choice, but we're going to get into it because I brought, I brought uh, reinforcement. Uh, yes. Experts, experts. You know, she's been here before. Uh, she's a political scientist, elections analyst. She's predicted all of these things. She's predicted them, like, to the letter when everyone else was like, nah, you're wrong. Rachel Bittacoffer was like, uh-uh, nope, the, the numbers don't lie. These stats don't lie. Let me welcome back to the show. She's part of Strike Pack, Rachel Bittacoffer. Hi. Hi, welcome back, sis. Oh, you got to unmute or something because I can't hear you. I can't hear what the rock is cooking. Okay, we'll wait. We'll wait. We'll figure it out. Keep talking. Say something. Rachel. I don't want to be right. I didn't want to be right. I wanted, you know, but I was trying to get the party to understand, like, things are about fundamentals and the fundamentals swung against us the second Joe Biden put his hand on that Bible and took the presidency. And therefore, like our our electoral system is, as you just pointed, I mean, just such a great opening, Karen. I can't even tell you how much I love the analogy about where you put the armor. And we'll go back into that in a minute because I cannot let that go. But also this idea that the GOP, you know, took a look at their autopsy report, they needed to, I mean, it, for democracy's sake, they needed to make those correctives, but to win elections, the other side won, right? The other side won that debate. And it seems to be working just fine because although, con, you know, con, con, conversion or swing vote in Northern Virginia, the suburbs in Richmond and Virginia Beach is a component of what Youngkin put together last night, it's not the whole story. The other story is laggish, languish turnout amongst core parts of the Democratic coalition, which isn't just Democrats, it's also independent leaners who lean left. And those people, like I said a year ago, need juice. They need they needed the investigations to be pursued with the gusto of, I mean, we're only talking about our constitutional republic, right? And they need, uh, if they're not going to get progress, because frankly, the progress thing, that's not a, it's not a function of the Democrats. I mean, at the end of the day, you've got one Democrat that is basically electorally a Republican. I mean, his ideology aside, he is in a state that Trump carried by 35 points, right? So like the progress thing aside, you really have to be going out there and showing the voters that you that you can meet the moment and this is an abnormal moment in american politics and if you're not talking about that if you're not making that clear to the electorate if you're giving them this impression that 2020 settled the case for democracy and everything's fine now they should go back to it then we're we are doomed for 22 we are doomed uh, but you know what? There's someone uh, literally holding the door, and she's been doing this, and I, I, I wanted to save her for last because I wanted to say thank you. Um, we all know Stacey Abrams. You know, that name is, you know, a household name. It was trending today. Um, some of us even know Latosha and, and Cliff, uh, Black Voters Matter, but very few people, this is not a household name, and it should be because this woman has been out in those streets galvanizing folk, 
getting people to turn out to vote, uh, putting putting her blessing on different can- hand picking candidates and making sure uh, she's the reason why we got right now uh, North Carolina Durham. We got a black mayor and she understands the local game extremely well. Uh, she is one of the founders of she's a CEO of Higher Heights. She's a political strategist. Let me welcome to the show the one and only Glenda Carr. Hi. Hey, how you doing, Professor? Hey, listen, <laughs> let me just say thank you and let me change my name because I came in here. Uh, this is my this is what I use for the school. So y'all don't ever have Oh, no, 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 yet. no. But you, you know, you're giving all the knowledge, Professor. Not, not all of it. Um, I, bring, I, convene, I convene folk who have it. Now, I, I remember you um, even before... Even before that Hillary, you know, uh, Trump debacle, you were tell us a little bit because I, you know, I need people to understand that this activism doesn't just happen overnight. (laughs) It's not something that people pop up one day. Tell folk how long you've been doing this work and what are you seeing um, in terms of the trajectory of our democracy? Yeah. So, I mean, black women in particular have been the architects of our democracy since since before Sojourner Truth proclaimed and ain't I a woman. Um, I certainly feel last night, um, Karen, we were, Black women were still going in Ain't I a Woman. We continue to show up um, at the ballot, um, oftentimes still not being invested in and, um, and oftentimes not having candidates that inspire us. Um, but the work over the last 10 years for Higher Heights with a political home for Black women, a place for us to be informed, engaged, and to take action, to train, recruit, mobilize, and elect Black women and to change the face of um, democracy that certainly for Democrats, it wasn't a great night in, in, in New Jersey or in Virginia, but we've seen in 2021, a consistent increase in the number of black women stepping off the sidelines and running for office. And so we have um, added to our numbers of black women running major cities. We last night elected a black woman to, to lead the city of Durham. Um, Virginia had multiple black women on that ballot and Rachel looked forward to the full debrief about that. <laughs> um, but, you know, you now have, um, you know, the, the, uh, the Yunkin um, administration will have a black woman who's a Republican, a conservative Republican, Lieutenant Governor. We were supporting uh, Hala Ayala, who was seeking to be the first Afro-Latina to serve um, as Lieutenant Governor, um, you know, with a potential loss in New Jersey, which I know, Karen, you ain't calling it yet. Um, we're losing a black woman lieutenant governor there. So that being said, the Center for American Women in Politics and Higher Heights has put out a report since 2014 called The Status of Black Women in American Politics. And what we found in, is since 2014, black women have made incremental gains, but there's still work to be done. And so we went from one mayor of one black woman mayor of a major city in 2014 to now eight serving and we have a potential to add more before the end of the year. Congress had 16 black women serving in that body in 2014. We now have 26 currently and just elected um, Chantel Brown in Ohio, stepping into some big shoes um, for the vacancy of now Secretary of HUD, uh, Marsha Fudd's seat. Um, in statewide offices in 2014, we had two black women serving. Uh, the treasurer of Connecticut at the time, Denise Napier and Kamala Harris, who was the AG in 2014. We now, we now have six. So we're moving forward. Um, 2022 is going to be an exciting year. There's five black women already declared running for governor. Uh, and tell people us, are highly, where. highly. Like, like, I, I feel like we, you know, and, and this is, you know, my failure here 
because I probably should have you on like once a month, you know, just to give us no a debrief. The reason why we really have Stacey Abrams in our brain is because of the work that women like you, like Higher Heights. I remember when you guys were propelling the candidacy of Stacey Abrams in Georgia. I remember the work you were doing on the ground. And again, these are unsung heroes that we, we don't talk about that are not household names because it's not sexy, the work that you do. Quite frankly, it's work that most of us will not want to do. So, so again, thank you. So, yeah. So there are black women running across this country. And so we've never elected a black woman governor. Um, I usually put a caveat. We did. It was Stacy. She wasn't seated, but that's my little, <laughs> little dig on the um, voter suppression. But there are black women running across this country for governor in 2022. Mia McLeod is running for governor in South Carolina, the deep, deep South. All the way up to the to New England, there's a black woman running for governor in Massachusetts, Danielle Allen, who is an academic, Karen. Um, Letitia Tish James, the current um, New York attorney general, is seeking to be um, the New York, um, New York governor. And then let's move on over to the, to the Midwest. There's a sister running in Iowa, y'all. Her name is Deirdre Dejir. Um, and in 2016, she ran for, um, for secretary of state, lost that statewide race in Iowa by just nine points, which shows you that black women are prepared to run in states that are diverse or states that aren't necessarily diverse. But we believe that our lived experiences and our qualifications make us uniquely qualified to lead in this moment. And then obviously every, everyone is looking to see what Stacey Abrams might do in Georgia. Right. And as you're speaking, you know, what, you know, we, the failure of the Democratic Party, and of course, you know, Tanya, Rachel, come on in, um, is that they believe in the party. And people have never believed in parties. People, people vote for people. Barack Obama didn't win because he was a Democrat, per se. You know, Barack Obama won twice because he had a way about him that people, all people, I remember getting to a fight on a golf course with a white man who told me he's mostly white. So he felt comfortable voting for him. People will twist themselves into pretzels to give themselves permission to do things that go against their spirit, right? So it's it's that that Virginia was so audacious in serving up a Terry McAuliffe when there were other choices that could have gotten people excited to show up to vote. Another white man, really, and I'm going to put it into race, Rachel, because once again, white women show their asses. I'm going to just say it. Y'all did it in 2016. And now we look at the exit polls. And again, in Virginia, it was white women that made the difference. I don't know what to make of that. And I don't know how a state that went for Biden could go for Yunkin just in less than a year. Help well, me understand. Let me, let me add like a little bit of analytic, analytics to this, right? So like it is true that like white women break for Republicans, but like what's going on in American politics as the big driver and it can look like geographic stuff. It can look like other things. Ultimately, is a ongoing education divide, right? And like white college voters are moving to the left. Non-college whites, though, are moving to the right. And because the GOP's electioneering system is designed, I mean, it's very ruthless and it doesn't have any morals, right? It's designed to tap into racial animus and it is heightening that realignment effect. So um, it's really important to understand these nuances in white voter behavior. It's not that other like um, racial groups don't have nuanced voter behavior as well, but you know, specifically regarding white voter behavior in Virginia, New Jersey, and these upcoming 2021 or 22 cycle races. What's going to come down to um, you know, for Democrats is understanding it does take a candidate, 
So like, tell Fido that, that this is not his time to be on the air. Fido, yeah. stop it. Please stop barking. Uh, <laughs> like my dog, you know. He doesn't like what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> the trash truck ran by, and that's his nemesis, you know. Yeah. I know that's true. If only the Democrats would go after uh, Republicans the way Hammy goes after these trash trucks, you know what I mean? We'd be we'd be fine, you know. So, so, it, um, but, 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 but wait, wait a minute, Rachel, because you you brought up something that I think is important to sit sit. Hold on, hold on, Rachel, Rachel, I, just one one second. Critical race theory. Um, I played a clip yesterday. Uh, there was a comedian out with a microphone at the polls, and it's like, what what's the issue driving you to the polls? And the guy was like, critical race theory. He's like, can you define it? What is it? Uh, I don't I don't have enough information, but I know it's wrong. I know it's bad. Well, what's bad about it? Well, I'm not really sure what's bad, but I don't want it, and so that's why I'm here. And that for many, I guess, white women with children are like, I don't want my children to be taught to hate themselves. So I'm going to show up and make sure because that's what Youngkin ran on. Like, we're not going to have any of this nonsense in the schools. That kind of messaging. Same strategy in every race, every House race, every state legislative race, mayoral race, Senate race, governor's race that's competitive. And I'm here to tell you guys it's going to work, right? Like if we don't respond in a way that's wholly different than how the McAuliffe team dealt with it in Virginia, which was to engage the issue as if we should have a debate about it, about the merits, because obviously the merits are on our side. I mean, the their side, it, 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 you're right. They don't, it, to them, it, it means my whiteness is being affronted, right? They don't need to understand the specifics of CRT because it, it's a stand-in for white pressure of white hegemonic power pressure right so where we really need to understand is that it was not it's not some organic issue that just evolved and ended up coming and taking effect in virginia it was lab created by gop strategist because in a referendum campaign on the issue of race even if we're right on the merits and the majority of people agree with us we will lose that debate every single time because people are, especially white people, subjected to this fear component. And we can we can sit here and bitch about it, right? Because I'm not telling you guys like what I believe, right? I'm telling you as an analyst, as a researcher, and as a pragmatist, how the world operates. So we can sit here and complain about it, or we can take it as it is and say, okay, given this constraint, how do we fight back appropriately and what i'm arguing is like it, 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 we have to go into battle with them and put culture war heat on issues that favor us in the culture war so give it to us give us the culture war heat what does the democrats got to say what do we have to say that's going to fight this racial fear how do we do it because i'm i'm with you i agree a hundred percent so like well, i mean this is hard medicine right so don't blow up my tl people we're going to blow you up anyway, but I'm with you. You got no, me. No, we're not. We're not going to blow up Rachel. Rachel's I'm with you, Rachel. I'm with you. She's an advocate. All right. I've pushed out publicly already or privately to, to people, you know, that, that care. I, you know, the way that, that they should have dealt with the CRT issue was they, they gave us the issue because they wanted us to talk about CRT. If we're talking about that, then we're not talking about dead kids, 
that were killed down in Texas and Florida because the schools were opened at the height of a pandemic and the children were exposed to a deadly virus, right? If we're talking about that, then we're not talking about whether or not Glenn Youngkin would have sent federal troops into D.C. to stop Trump's armed insurrection, right? If we're talking about that, then we don't have pressure on Glenn Youngkin on whether or not, as governor of Virginia, he will certify the elections of the 2024 election. You see what I'm saying? So, like, we should be putting them on defense on issues we do, they don't want to talk about. And every time we enter into a conversation about defunding the police and CRT, which we have like an instinct to engage on and they know it, which is why they feed it to us. Okay. I'm with you. Now I know we can go a little harder than that because that's still okay, twisting so let's, things let's, around. Let's, 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 let's well, first, first of all, hold on, hold on. I gotta take care of business here and, and manage. Uh, <laughs> Eight six six eight zero one eight two five five, and I want to invite people who are listening to call in. Uh, last night's election uh, in Virginia, Terry McAuliffe lost. Democrat Glenn Youngkin, who is Trump light, um, Trump adjacent, won. He's the governor of Virginia. Eric Adams uh, became the mayor of New York City over Curtis Sliwa. Uh, New Jersey, I think, is still a toss-up, uh, but it's not looking very good. Uh, Durham, there's some good news. Durham, North Carolina, gave us Elaine O'Neill. She made history last night. Uh, congratulations to you. Manhattan also got its first district attorney, uh, a black man, a black district attorney, Alvin Bragg. He came became victorious, 48-year-old former federal prosecutor, campaigned on a pledge to balance public safety with fairness. He beat out seven other Democratic candidates. Uh, Michelle Wu became the first woman and first Asian American to be elected mayor of Boston, Boston, Massachusetts. So there's some good news. Uh, but what, what, what Rachel is pointing out, I think is really poignant. And, you know, as, as you're going around the country, Glenda, you know, mounting campaigns and getting folk gathered up and finding candidates, we need strategy. That's not just on our heels defending there should be an offensive attack on whatever it is that they're doing that could resonate with people and get them out to the polls. Now I say that at the same time in the back of my mind, I was like, we wouldn't be here if you did the George Floyd thing. If that thing pushed through, we wouldn't be here if you know, the funding uh, that was on the table for, you know, the things that black people asked for when Joe Biden said, you're not black. If you don't vote for me, if you double down on black day one, we wouldn't be here right now. Terry McAuliffe would, would be in a, really Go ahead, Rachel. make a very important point about go ahead. that? Go ahead. The Republican Party knows that, okay? So, like, the reason that you don't have Tim Scott moving on that George Floyd bill anymore is because they know that if they feed that to us for a victory, it will only help us in 2022. So they are never ever going to give him a compromise bill. They will never do it. The same thing goes with everything else. The Puerto Ricans, Puerto Rico stuff, the voting. I mean, they used to, um, you know, renew the Voting Rights Act, the same Voting Rights Act, the compromise version that Joe Manchin insisted on writing himself. That used to pass unanimously on a voice vote. <laughs> and they won't vote. Any of them are never, they're not going to give Biden any of these things because what they're counting on is people to get frustrated and turned off. So they understand is the same strategy they ran against Obama, starve him of victories, starve them of any progress and demoralize their own coalition. Uh, has it been effective, Glenda? I absolutely agree. Um, well, first of all, democracy is a 365 day activity. 
Um, and we need to hold our elected officials accountable on the issues that we care about and frankly, create the environment for our champions to push forward. I do think there we've missed a political moment. We have to realize we're still living in some of the most politically toxic and racially divisive times of this generation. Um, and you can't void, void what happened yesterday without talking about the toxicity that is in our democracy that is fueled by racial, like, oh, you know, we're, we're in a generation where I was used to covert racism. <laughs> um, and we are certainly living in, in, in back into an overt, uh, you know, racist and sexist time. Um, that being said, um, you know, we need to support candidates that will inspire a broad base of, um, a broad base of electorate, but frankly, general um, energize the base of uh, particularly the Democratic Party, which are black voters. Um, so I'm going to take a point of privilege because I usually don't talk about um, men running for office. So I am so excited about it. Al Bragg as Manhattan DA. Um, people go like she he predates my political years. He we share a goddaughter together. That's how long I have known Al, Alvin Bragg. Uh, we um, our best friends are married together. And so when you have candidates that that, that inspire a, a coalition of voters, that is how we're going to be able to combat some of the toxicity. That being said, um, one of the things I can just say, I don't know if there would have been a change in the outcomes. I would love to hear Rachel's thoughts on this, but the, the, the Virginia primary was diverse, right? And so we go to all the black women named Jennifer in Virginia, right? You had two black women candidates that I think would have excited the electorate. The question is, would they have been able to close the gap or energize more suburban white women to vote for Yunkin? But it's for analysis to go for it. But there were two qualified black women bringing their lived experiences, both named Jennifer, Jennifer Carroll Foy and Jennifer McClellan um, running for Virginia. Um, and so we need uh, to build out candidates that people that will build a coalition of, of voters. And that's what we need to look at in 2020, in addition to figuring out how we create spaces where we can push legislation that, that the voters that went to the polls, like their lives depended on it in 2020, um, for us to deliver on those, 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 those pieces of legislation. Yeah. Uh, oh, right. so, gonna... so, wait, Rachel, oh. before I let you go, um, you, you have uh, this, this um, metric that you have been spot on. I'm going to ask you what your numbers are saying for 2022 and 2024 right now and what can we do i already know what they're saying but just tell us tell us tell us what you see right now with your numbers yeah i i and i put out an analysis piece right before the election and i talked about like the three scenarios they win both and and actually we have a chance in the midterms they lose the they win statewide but lose these house of delegate races which are gerrymandered and populations you know distributed and and that's tough but we you know we're gonna have to figure it out and then if they lose everything how it should be an everybody panic moment right and that's what's happened right in virginia they lost everything and that is a state in these out in party out party fundamentals which is what drives midterm effects and this bellwether flip around of virginia like that's a handicap that i was you know able to tell you we would face election night of november 2020 and now we know that even under the nicest circumstance if we run our current strategies and deployment it's because this is the issue is in our electoral strategy 
from the top down to, to from strategy to tactical deployment, then we're going to lose. Like we know that because because many states that we're going to be engaged in in 2022 are more favorable in terms of educational realignment or less favorable rather in terms of demographics and educational realignment than Virginia was. Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin fell out of competition too for the GOP during the Trump era. And we now know 100% unequivocally that they are back in competition for them. And we know that we currently don't have the system that we need to win there. So the question is here, you know, we're one year out from election day. What are we gonna do about it? Please call me. <laughs> Going to give us some hope, 866-801-8255. And if people want to volunteer or join you at Higher Heights all over the country, you are in all of the states, um, tell them what you're looking for in the help that you need to get some things done. We need all hands on deck. Um, we are, in addition to working on closing out 2021 as we prepare for 2022, we are accelerating Black women's um, political leadership with a 2030 plan. Imagine Karen and Tanya and um, uh, Rachel, us sitting at 2030 and imagining what that democracy looks like. And then we're going to create the roadmap. So in 2030, we have five Black women U.S. senators five governors that are all across this uh, all across this country. Um, and so that's the work. How do we re recruit, train, and support Black women? Uh, and we need a network. Um, Higher Heights is the political home for Black women's leadership that centers Black women. But for us to do the work, we need our allies. Um, and that is your time, talent, and treasure. So join our you know, growing movement at higherheightsforamerica.org, where you can um, amplify the leadership of Black women um, candidates, Black women elected leaders, are like Black women activists, or like the everyday Black woman, like my great grandmother who didn't know she was a political organizer, but she was. <laughs> um, how do we give ourselves the tools 365 days a year to ensure that we're doing what I think our neighbors want? Like when you talk about the political, toxic, and racially divisive time, Black women want what our neighbors want. We want economically thriving, educated, healthy, and safe communities. So last night I went to bed with a headache, but I woke up still knowing that, I, that there is a pathway to build that America for all of us. Um, and it's, it's the hard work that needs to be done. It's the tough conversations. It's the fights, the figurative fights in the streets um, for us to ensure that we all can thrive in this community, thrive in this democracy. And over your shoulders, Ella Baker, the great Ella Baker. And as you're talking, I'm also, I can hear in my ear, uh, what about the black men? Is there a, an organization that mirrors you? Because again, all hands on deck, you're doubling down in the area that you are, are passionate about as a black woman. There has to be, if, if you're listening and you feel like, well, what about the black men? Are there organizations? And if there aren't any, start one. Start one because we need equal passion and, and a 2030 plan to put five black governors and five black senators in our you know democratic process. So, like, don't be mad about you know, the lack of representation created. That's how that goes, right? I mean, unless there is a male version of Higher Heights out there that I'm not familiar with. We have a growing number of Black-led political organizations. We solely, we are unapologetically about um, the promotion of Black women's political leadership. Um, but Black PAC, Collective PAC, um, Black Lives Matter PAC, um, um, 
Black uh, Voters Matter has a political arm. Um, these are all organizations that support Black political leadership. We are uniquely positioned to, to center Black women, but we have a growing number of Black-led political organizations, and we need people to support all of us, right? Nobody says there's more, you know, there's too many white organizations or too many environmental organizations or too many women's organizations. So we need to build a bench of Black-led political organizations to be able to center our political power and leadership. Well, you are definitely walking in the steps of Ella Baker. You are our generation's uh, uh, Ella Baker. And I'm so grateful uh, that you guys are out there. And I'm looking forward to you coming back. And let's get Miss Mia McLeod and Danielle uh, Allen and Tish James, of course, and uh, Deidre uh, in Iowa. Let's let's work in, of course, Stacey Abrams if she chooses to run again. I'm not sure if she will, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Let me thank you. Stacey can do whatever she wants to do and whatever she decides to do. I am with Stacey. Uh, Same. And and Rachel, um, listen, the work you're doing unmatched. And I'm, I appreciate, you know, that you stay in them numbers and keep us informed about the things we need to do. We can't complain. Rachel tried to tell us. I remember you on these airwaves. You tried to tell us Malcolm, Malcolm Nance was on on Monday, tried to tell us. Uh, we are going to listen or we're going to suffer the consequences. But I appreciate both of you jumping in uh, at the top of this uh, post-election uh, and definitely come back. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Rachel Bitter-Coffer. Yes. Love you. And Glenda Carr. Thank you. Love you as well. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to the Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.